Hey, good morning. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas week and New Year's. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We were all online last Sunday because of weather, and this week we are in person at 10.30 in the morning. The audio-only versions available of our Sunday service and our 20-minute Bible study podcasts are available on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill. The video version, if you're watching right now, is on our Facebook it's always there. And then it's live streamed on our website, faithonhill.com. Our audio versions are also available on the website as well. When we're kicking off 2020, small groups have started back up. If you want information, you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. Uh, we have a Sunday morning small group, a Wednesday night online small group, uh, a Tuesday night young adults group, and youth group is on Tuesday nights as well. We are going to continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. This morning we're going to talk about John the Baptist, and we're going to talk about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, as we continue our study of God's Word together. Matthew, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And this is he who spoke through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region beyond the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. When he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those were the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees were like your most like right-wing, evangelical kind of Protestant. The, the Sadducees were like your East Coast elitist, mainline denomination, you know, uh, more, more liberal uh, theologically uh, and maybe politically kind of uh, Christian. So he sees both, Pharisees and Sadducees, coming to where he's baptizing. He said to them, both sides, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I'm not even worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand and is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is God's word. John had a message. Get ready for Jesus. All of our lives preach. And you may say, wait a minute, I'm not a preacher, Adam. That's what you do. Every person's life preaches something, proclaims something. Now, it is different things for different people, right? You know, I, I have a friend, it's like if you, if you only knew him by his social media, what would you know about him? He loves the Seattle Seahawks. He loves Las Vegas. That's about all he posts. 
I have other friends. It's like, if you just only follow their social media or you only knew them, like what would they be about? You know, maybe it's uh, cars or something else, right? Like everything preaches. I have another friend who just like, what's his whole life about? Like his whole life is about his political views and his determination that, that his political views are what's good about this country and everybody else's political views are what's bad about this country. All of our lives preach. Literally, as I was walking in the door of the church building today to come record this, somebody was walking through the church field, through the parking lot. If you don't know, the back of our property, there's a little easement, uh, and people cut through our field in the parking lot to get from the neighborhoods behind the church out to Hill Road. And he's walking through, and I was walking into the building. I saw him. I waved. I said, hey, how's it going? And he stopped, and he said, hey, I just want to tell you that this person in your church they really live their faith. Like, I believe that they're a Christian. He's not a Christian guy. But he knew somebody in our church, and his interactions with that person said, hey, that person at least really believes what they say they believe. All of us have different ministries. I was thinking about people in our church and the different ministries that God has given different people. God's given some people ministries of encouragement, other people's ministries of service. You know, I was thinking about like Steve and Joan, and God's just given them a ministry of encouraging people and praying for people. And, you know, Dave and Janelle with their work with Toy and Joy and other real practical outreaches. And, you know, some people have this, this gifting and some people have that gifting. I think of like Jake and Heather, uh, their ministry with the youth. God's just given different people different things to do and to excel at. But all of our lives preach. One day, my kids are going to have to make their own decision about their own faith. They will have to follow God on their own or not follow God on their own. And I pray that they will make a decision for Jesus as adults. But I have known people who grew up in the church, same as I did, and now do not follow God. But they, when asked about their parents' faith, they have no hesitation to say, my parents' faith is absolutely genuine. I've also known people who do follow Jesus, who grew up in the church and made a decision on their own as adults to follow Jesus. But when you ask them about their parents' faith, they go, eh, yeah, I, th I think my parents believe. My life, your life preaches, whether it's through our words, our actions, our listening, or, you know, what we do, what we say, what we write, what we, all of these things speak. And I was thinking about all of us have this calling as Christians to bring the good news of Jesus to the world around us, whether it's to our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers, the people on a sports team, uh, you know, the, the world around us, you know, all of these things that we have, how we present ourselves online, all of these things. We're called to bring Jesus. That's what John the Baptist is doing. He's bringing Jesus, the message of Jesus. For him, it was Jesus is coming. For us, it's Jesus has come. If you want to be effective in your, in your calling to bring Jesus to people, there's a few things that I noticed from John. First of all was he knew his calling. His calling was to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, you can go over to Luke's gospel on your own time, and we get a lot more information. That before John was even conceived, an angel told his parents, this is what he's to do. He will prepare the way for the Messiah. There was a prophecy, and Matthew quotes it here from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. 
a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. That's, that's what he was there to do. Get people ready for the coming Messiah. He had a role. The prophet Malachi, in the Hebrew scripture, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, wrote that Elijah would come before the Messiah. And Jesus' disciples asked Jesus about this because they said, hey, the prophet said that Elijah would come first and then the Messiah, but you're here and we're pretty sure that you're the Messiah, so what's going on with that? And Jesus said, hey, if you can accept it, John the Baptist was operating in the power and in the office of Elijah. It's interesting. We don't have time to get into it, but in the book of Revelation, chapter 11, it talks about either literally Elijah or somebody like John the Baptist operating in that same office, coming and proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah in Jerusalem just before Jesus' second and final coming. Don't have time to get into that. I'm just throwing that one out there and you can look that up on your own. But he had his calling. You might say, well, yeah, he was called to that and that was huge and great and amazing, but that's not me. I'm, I, I don't have that kind of calling. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus' disciples were asking him about John the Baptist and he said, I'm going to tell you the truth. Up to this point in history, there is nobody who's been born who was greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the coming kingdom of God will be greater than him. God has a different work for you, yes, but it doesn't mean that it's lesser. We give all this attention to people of notoriety and time after time after time, they fall short. You just hear about, oh, here's another Christian celebrity who's fallen because we put people on pedestals who shouldn't be there. All of us have a work to do. God's called me to verbally teach the Bible, to pray with people and to pastor people. That's what I'm called to do. But I said a minute ago about the ministries that God's given people in the church, and I'm so thankful as I see God using people in different ways, and they're gifted in ways that I am not gifted in, and, and they're doing a work that I would not do well. But God has given them that ability. And all of us have different ways that God has called us, but we can be effective if we know what our calling is. And, and that's a process that some of us just kind of work through, like, hey, what am I supposed to do? When I first started in working in churches, I didn't know that I was going to do this. I, I didn't know that I could preach. It was a process over a few years that I worked through kind of like clarifying, what is it I'm supposed to do? You've got to know what you're called to do, and all of us are called to bring Jesus to the world around us. But you've got to know your audience. Verse 1, chapter 3, says, In those days John the Baptist came. Matthew doesn't give us a lot of uh, information about when those days were. Why? Because he was one of the earliest writers in the New Testament, and he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. They would have known what those days were. They would have known who John the Baptist was. Luke, in his gospel, gave a lot more information because he was writing to a primarily non-Jewish audience and he was writing a little bit later. So he needed to give a lot more context to that audience. If we want to be effective in bringing Jesus to people, you got to know your audience. Matthew knew his audience. Luke 
knew his audience. They were different audiences. And so they presented things, the same truth, the same information, but they just presented it differently. How I speak with somebody in their teens is different than how I speak to somebody in their 70s. You know, how I speak to somebody in one culture is different than another. I recognize that one person might have this experience and it'd be different than my experience and I need to be aware of that. When I was in grad school, we would have people from a very rural experience and people from a very urban experience and they would get into, we could politely call them discussions or more realistically, we would call them arguments. And they would really be talking past each other until somebody who had lived in kind of both worlds, rural and urban, could kind of translate for them. Because their experiences were so different and they weren't recognizing the difference in audience. And so they'd get into arguments, even, you know, the things that you say. You know, how the words that I use with one setting might not be appropriate to another. I've got to know who my audience is. Then I've got to consider how I present it. Verse 4 says, John's clothes were made of camel hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and he's, his food was locust and wild honey. That sounds interesting or weird or different to us, but it doesn't mean anything to us. To the Jewish audience and the people living in that area at that time, it would have meant something. It would have meant, oh, he is signifying himself as a prophet. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 8 says that Elijah the prophet had a uniform. He had, he, he, the king uh, said, hey, you saw a prophet. What was he wearing? And they said, oh, he's wearing a, a camel skin robe and he's got a leather belt. And he's like, oh, that's Elijah. Because that's what Elijah always wore. You remember Steve Jobs? He invented Apple. And every time there was a worldwide developers conference, a new iPhone announcement, whatever, you knew what Steve Jobs was going to wear. Steve Jobs always wore that black long sleeve turtleneck and baggy blue jeans and some sneakers. Every time he went and did a major presentation for Apple, he always wore the same thing. The same was true with Elijah, apparently, from 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 8. And so John is putting on this sort of prophet's uniform to identify himself. After 9-11 happened, and I'm not going to get into why this is, but this is a true story. After 9-11 happened, many of the chaplains who went to New York and the surrounding areas after 9-11 were from evangelical Protestant churches from outside of the Northeast, many from the West Coast, from the South, and from the Midwest. These are guys who dressed casually on Sunday mornings when they preached. And then they got to New York, New Jersey, Staten Island, Hoboken, Newark, Manhattan, Queens, and they go to these places where they're assigned to minister to people in the aftermath of 9-11. And they, many of them, I talked to many people who were chaplains, and they said, you know what, I went and I got that white collar and a black shirt like a priest would wear. And they weren't being false. They identified themselves, you know, I'm a, I'm a Protestant pastor, I'm, the, uh, I'm a, a non-denominational chaplain, whatever it was that they were supposed to say. They weren't trying to pretend to be Catholic priests. But there was a uniform that was kind of expected culturally there. I've, I've never owned one of those uh, white collar things. But I've done some relief work like after a wildfire in California. And we had shirts that said clergy, very clear who we were. We presented ourselves in a way that was 
obvious what was going on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says that I've become all things to all people so that I might win some to Christ. When I lived in England, I lived in the city of Manchester. There is a large Muslim community, primarily from Pakistan. And there were women that I knew who had an outreach evangelistic ministry to Muslim women. And when they would go as guests entering into their community, they wore very conservative clothing, long sleeves, long skirts, nothing tight-fitting. And it wasn't to be false or fake, and it wasn't to put themselves under some kind of law or legalism, but it was to be respectful of the cultural context they were going into. I dress semi-casual on Sunday mornings, right? Wintertime, it's usually a flannel shirt. Summertime, it's a nicer t-shirt. But, you know, I have friends who their church is more formal, and if I go preach at their church, I dress up a little bit, not because I'm disrespecting you, but because I'm respecting them. I actually think it would just, you know, I dress how we dress here in our community, but if I go into a different context, you know, when I go to Mexico, they dress up on Sunday mornings. So I tell people, we go to Mexico, hey, bring a nicer shirt, you know, nicer pants, nicer clothes, one hair so that when we go to church, we don't disrespect them because that's their context. How I speak in one cultural setting is going to be different than another. I want to consider my presentation. I want to speak and communicate Jesus in a way that's effective. And so I got to think about that. Hey, you know what? I may be speaking, maybe you're speaking to your kids or your grandkids. And they're not your generation. They're not your experience. And you have to speak to them instead of expecting them to understand what's going on in your context. This last week, uh, you know, it's kind of dead week. It's that dead time between Christmas and New Year's. And so um, Angie and I were watching movies, and we watched a movie called Guarding Tess. It's an old movie from the 90s. as has uh, Nicolas Cage and Shirley MacLaine. And I had a nostalgia for it from when I was in high school and Angie hadn't seen it, so we watched it. And it holds up pretty well. It's still funny. But there's this scene, and afterwards we were talking about it, how our kids would not know what was going on if they watched the movie. Because a cigarette lighter is actually a fairly major plot point in that movie, a car cigarette lighter. We don't have those anymore. There's the 12-volt power thing in our cars but there's no cigarette lighter attached. But when I was a kid, every car had that cigarette lighter attached. Every car had one. No car today has a cigarette lighter. And then there's a scene where there's kind of a running joke through the movie where he keeps getting calls from the president, Nicolas Cage does, uh, and he keeps getting yelled at by the president. And then the president hangs up and he's just sitting there holding the phone. And after a few seconds, that beep, 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 beep starts. My kids would have no idea what's going on because they've never lived in a home that has a landline. The whole time that Angie and I have been married, we've never had a landline. We've only had our cell phones. That's very common among my generation. But growing up, that's all we had was landlines. And if you left the phone off the hook for too long, that beep, 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 beep sound started. So everyone who lived in that time, it's ubiquitous. Everyone knows what that means, what's going on there. But my kids would watch that movie and go, what's happening? What is that thing? Why is that happening? Why don't they just get on their cell phone? 
<laughs> my kids do that. If we watch a movie, let's like set like a few hundred years ago and they'll be like, wait a minute, why don't they just turn on the light? Where's the cars? How we present the good news of Jesus matters. It matters. I want to become all things to all people. I'm not going to be false. But I also know that how I speak to somebody uh, in one setting is different than how I speak in another setting. I know that what is totally normal in one setting would be offensive to another setting. And I want to be aware of that so that I can bring Jesus. I had to come face to face with this very early in my ministry because the first church I served at was not in America, it was in England. And so am I going to bring American ideas to another country or am I just going to bring Jesus to that setting? And missionaries know this is true, but since we're here and this is our, our culture, we don't often think this way, but it's, it's definitely the case. Let's say that you're from a very rural background and God gives you the opportunity to go to a very urban setting. Are you going to bring urban culture or rural culture to that urban setting, or are you going to bring Jesus? And if you're from a very urban background and then you go to a very rural setting, are you going to bring urban culture to them, or are you going to bring Jesus to them? I want to fish with the right bait. I want to use the right tool for the right job. I want to get a screwdriver when there's a screw to be screwed, and I want to get a hammer when it's a nail. I want to do the right thing for the right place in the right time. And there's, quite honestly, many, many Christians who don't consider their presentation, who don't know their audience, and then they come and they're speaking to an audience, but they're not speaking their language. Sometimes literally, but most of the time it's, it's kind of metaphorical. Like several years ago, I was the youth pastor at a church. And for like three, four weeks in a row, the lead pastor's sermons, every like story he told or cultural reference he made was from something before I was born. I was born in 1982. And, and after a few weeks of this, I, we were talking and I said, hey, I just got to say, like you have not made a single reference or story or anything that happened before I was, after I was born. And, and I said, I, I get it because I'm kind of an old soul and I grew up on a lot of reruns. And so I get those references you're making. But what about somebody who's 25? I think I was like 32, 33 at the time. Like, what about somebody who's 25? What about somebody who's 15? Aren't they part of the church? But it doesn't feel like we're speaking to them. We're not speaking their language. He didn't like that. And I got fired. But the point is, we have to speak to the people that God has given us to reach. So if you're younger and you say, hey, you know what? I don't know where my parents are at. I don't know where my older neighbor is at. I don't know where my great aunt is at. I want them to know Jesus too. How do you speak to them? If you're older, I want to reach my kids, my grandkids, the young couple that lives next door to me, the, the coworkers that I have. How do you speak to them? I want to bring people to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I got to know my audience. I got to know my presentation. And I got to have a solid message because I'll tell you the truth. There are ministries, churches who are very, very good on their presentation. 
very good on knowing their audience. Uh, I was talking to one group that they, that's like a big focus for them is starting churches and in, in new churches that hadn't existed before. And they don't go into a town or a community without doing a big demographic study and tailoring the church to that community. And they have all of the sharp, clean presentation. But if there's no message, if it's watered down, if it's only there to speak to that community, what good is it? There's got to be presentation and substance. It's not either or, it's both and. I, I am beginning to believe that the least evangelized group in America might be traditionally church-going people because churches have tailored the message to what they want to hear and then when there are parts of the Bible that they don't want to hear, they either don't talk about it or they ignore it and they just skip over it so that it doesn't ruffle any feathers. Because who is John preaching to? Well, it says that people were coming and repenting of their sins and being baptized, which was a ritual. The whole baptism thing in, in Jewish culture was actually a thing that you only did if you were a heathen who wanted to convert and become Jewish. So they were basically saying, it's as if I'm not one of God's people. I have been so wrong and so far off. It's as if I'm one, not one of God's people. So I am going to publicly confess my sin. I cheated my employee. I, I lied here. I, I dishonored this person. I've sinned in this way. And I want to be ready for the coming Messiah. So I am going to baptize myself and repent of my sins. And then these religious people show up. And in our context, when we hear Pharisees and Sadducees, we would think of both the most like right-wing kind of like moral majority type of Christian and the most like progressive woke kind of Christian. They're both there. They're both watching. And John turns to them and he says, what are you doing? Because you're there standing like looking on as if you don't have to repent, but you have to repent too. He says, you're, you're not keeping fruit that goes with repentance. You're like a tree. And yes, you're, you're an apple tree, but there's no apples growing. You're, you're a, a cherry tree, but there's no cherries growing. There's no fruit. And when, when it's time, they're going to say, hey, there's no fruit there. We're going to cut it down. We're going to get rid of it. We're going to plant something new. So there's life there. The message that John the Baptist was bringing was get ready for Jesus. The message that we bring is that Jesus has come. And that message is repent and be changed. Sinners are welcomed. Sinners are welcomed. Somebody might say, you know what, Adam? I, I want Jesus, but I'm not sure if I want to come to church because I don't believe everything that church people believe. Join the club. Join the club. A lot of people... I can't speak for other churches, but a lot of people at our church feel sort of spiritually homeless. Not that we're not home here at our church, but we look around and we say, there's, there's all kinds of these this far right and far left churches, and we just don't feel like we're part of either of them. Join the club. Our church believes in a biblically traditional view of human sexuality, but I guarantee there's people in our church who are for same-sex marriage and are not bothered that, you know, somebody's sleeping together before they're married. I'm not saying that we affirm that, but I'm saying that there are people who believe that who come to our church. 
I'll tell you why I'm not bothered by that in a minute. Bear with me. Walk with me on this one. Somebody else might say, Adam, if I come to church, do I have to believe what I would call anti-science things like that God created the earth in a literal six days or Noah's Ark or whatever? No. Now, I personally believe that God created the earth. And I personally believe in a general sense that it was in a literal six days, although I'm very nuanced in what I believe there and I'd be happy to talk to anyone about that. But I know we have people in our church that believe that God used evolution. I know that there's people in the church who believe that the creation story might be more allegorical than true. Here's where I'm not bothered with any of that. Because of the second part of his message, in verse, in verse uh, 11, where he says, he, that's speaking of Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John says, I've come and I, I've just brought a baptism of water. It's, out, it's outward, it's external. You come, you, were, you confess your sins, you're baptized so that symbolically you profess that you want a fresh start and you want to prepare yourself for God's coming Messiah. When the Messiah comes, that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I believe that God's cleansing power is working in the lives of Christians today. And so I don't worry if somebody comes and says, I want Jesus, but you know what? Here's this big thing that the Bible teaches or the church teaches, and I don't agree with it because I trust that God's going to do his work. There's so many things that I personally have said, what's the big deal? Why does God care about that? And then as I've gone along as a Christian, God's worked in my heart and explained these things and changed my heart. And there's other things that I thought were a huge deal that I really freaked out about. And then God worked in my heart and was like, Adam, that's not really a big deal. That's just a cultural context. And, and as we work together, we move together, trying to follow Jesus together. I trust God to do his work, his cleansing work. I trust the Holy Spirit to work in us. I'm more worried not that the sinners come and feel welcomed, I'm more worried that we're like the Pharisees or the Sadducees and we're looking on going, oh, look at them. Instead of saying, God, heal me, forgive me, work in my life, change me, I repent. I'm not worried that somebody feels like they can belong here before they believe. I'm worried that I'm just trying to behave so that people will let me belong. I'm, I'm worried that we would fake everyone out so that we look outwardly good, but inwardly we're just as bad as everyone else. The message that John the Baptist brought was get ready because Jesus is coming. The message of the church today in 2022 is Jesus has come, Jesus lived, Jesus was crucified, and three days later he rose again. And we believe that through his death and resurrection, all of our sins are removed, totally wiped away. The Bible says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. And so I pray that in 2022, God continues to remove the barriers from us individually and us collectively as a church from sharing Jesus and that good news so that we could know our audience and have a clear presentation with a solid gospel message. And I invite any who hear this and they're saying, you know what, I want Jesus. 
But what about all this other stuff? Just come. That's what these guys did. They came, they repented, and they physically did something. They, they got in the waters of baptism. It didn't save them, but it showed that they meant it. It showed that they were actively responding. I'd invite all of us to actively respond to Jesus. And however that looks, maybe active response to Jesus is to show up in person, not because church attendance saves us or makes us better, but because it's a way to actively respond to Jesus. Maybe actively responding to Jesus is praying with me here in just a minute. Maybe actively responding to Jesus means to, to reach out to somebody and say, hey, I, I need to repent. God will show you how to do that. Let's respond together. Would you pray with me right now? Holy God, thank you that you hear our prayers. We pray that you would remove any of the false faith that we have in our own religious goodness. That you would make clear to us how deep our sin runs and how great your love is, that you would make clear to us our need for Jesus, that you would make clear to us how much and how completely Jesus has saved us from our sins. Lord, the things that are unclear, we pray that you would give us faith to walk through. Lord, the things that hold us back, we pray that you would give us power to overcome through the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. If you responded, let someone know. You can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. We're going to be in our small groups this week, both in person and online. You can email small groups at faithonhill.com for more information. And we'll see you next Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. online and in person as we continue to study God's word together and learn what it means to follow Jesus.